Right. Well, one of the aims of uh, Porter Brook is simply to challenge uh, you to go deeper into your understanding uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, he takes you down a road that is remarkable and wonderful, and that is he wants us to go deep into who he is. Um, we are not, he, he is not created in our image, but rather we are created in his image. And so it should not surprise us that as we come to his, uh, to his word, uh, we discover some remarkable truths about who he is, and of which we would never come to our own uh, if we just used our human reason, although we're to use our human reason, ultimately we need his revelation. And so Porterbrook, one of the things about Porterbrook is, is we want to encourage you to go deeper into doctrine, deeper into whom God is particularly. And then out of that, not only do we not only want to, as, as uh, Joel alluded to earlier, not only do we want to be people who know more, but within, uh, and, and not only to be people who do more, so we think head and hands, but ultimately where God is taking us is that he wants us to love him more. Um, so now we're talking about our hearts. Um, and I think that doctrine of the Trinity helps us to go there. Uh, it helps us to go deeper into who he is and to cause us to be uh, people who are in awe of him. So you have there, uh, you have something there that might be helpful to you. It's on the side of there. It's, it's a handout. So hopefully that will be useful for you in terms of following along as we're going into this incredible um, uh, doctrine of the Trinity. And what I've tried to do for you is I really want to encourage you to get into the Word of God today. So if you see a bullet point, uh, those little round bullet points, then that's a passage I would really like for you not only to hear me read to you, but for also for you to actually see it in front of you. So if you see a bullet point, uh, that means that's a passage I would really encourage you to look up and see it for yourself, whether that be on your app or uh, in, in your or, uh, in your physical Bible that you have there in front of you. So, yeah, toward the center there. If you didn't see it there, they're towards, uh, towards the center. So let, let's turn to, I'm just going to go right into this. Let's turn to our, in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 15. And the reason I want to do this is because uh, doctrine, when we hear the word doctrine, uh, uh, we do kind of... Our eyes can kind of glaze over. Um, and so that's not unusual for the body of Christ. So if you turn to 2 Timothy 3 and you begin at verse 18, listen to uh, what Peter writes. Uh, he, he says this, count the patience of our, of our Lord as salvation. So count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's just written about the fact that uh, God has delayed in his coming, and there is a patience of, of God. He's delayed in his coming. So he says, count the patience of our Lord, his delay in coming, as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, 
Did you see that? Peter writes there, he says, there are some things in them, speaking of Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Okay, good, good. All right, we're, we're on the same page. There are some things that are difficult for us to understand. That is not unusual for us here in the 21st century. It was as the same and true in the first century, and that is that there are doctrines that God has given to us that he wants us to understand, but they're not easy to under, understand. So, um, but but it's, a, it's to our detriment that we do not do the hard work. So it's to our detriment that we don't do the hard work of mental, uh, mental work, learning doctrine. First, because it is in these more, I'm going to use this word throughout the day, inscrutable, inscrutable passages. Um, it's, it's in these more inscrutable passages. Now, inscrutable means, it's a word that's defined this way, and that is that you cannot plumb an idea or truth, get to the bottom of it, by just simple reason. But inscrutability says that not only do you need to use your reason, although your reason reason can't get you to the bottom of it, it also requires revelation, a revealing by God. And so inscrutable passages that Peter says that if we don't plumb these, if we don't do these hard hard passages, we can lose, did you see there at uh, at the end there, we can lose our own stability, verse 17. We can lose our stability. It's kind of a warning to us. But also because it is in these inscrutable passages where we grow in awe, in awe of God in whom we serve. So again, oh my, my desire is is that as we go into these difficult uh, doctrines that we will fall in love with God in a deeper and more greater way than we've ever had before. And it requires hard work, but out of it comes the, the fruit of wonderful treasures of truth that hopefully will cause us to love him. Now, um, Peter continues on in verse 18. So if you're still there in First Peter, uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, And then we read his words of praise, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Uh, Amen. Amen. Um, So we want to go deep because we're made for, we we are made as people who really are too satisfied with lesser things. And so what he wants to do is he, he you're, you're made for remarkable truths. We're made for remarkable, we're made in his, we're going to see just a minute, uh, in, in the image of God. And so we're, we're made to manifest him. And, and so he wants us to know him so that we can, we can manifest him to, uh, to the world around us. And so you're made for wonderful truths and it just takes hard work to get to there. 
Um, but when we do, we begin to fall in love with a great God. Um, so this is, this is our, our desire. So, so our aim this day is to find the treasures of truth, which then I hope will start, stir our hearts a little bit to marvel and praise and discover hopeful and helpful applications, because uh, that's the second thing we want to do, and that is that we want to see, well, how does the Trinity, uh, what, what difference does that make for, um, for our lives on a very practical uh, level? And so hopefully we will get there. That's my, my aim. So here's in this introductory session, this is what I just want to do. I just wanted to define and discuss the two key doctrines that we need to be thinking about. And then I want to tease you with some questions that will be answered in the afternoon sessions and then provide you a roadmap of where we'll be traveling in the afternoon. So define, let's define and discuss two uh, key doctrines. So the inscrutable doctrine I want us to consider today is the, not surprising, the doctrine of the Trinity. And if there is a doctrine, it exemplifies inscrutability. That is a truth that cannot be plumbed by our own reason but requires revelation. This is one of those truths. Um, so with that, we see there, I gave you a, a, a kind of a quote from one of our, our church father, one of our church fathers, uh, Augustine, and he said, there is no subject where error is more dangerous, research more laborious, and discovery more fruitful than the oneness of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or we can go now to Eugene Peterson. You can read along with me there, author and pastor. He wrote, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's just, just passed away a couple years ago. Uh, he wrote, it is commonly said that the Trinity is a mystery. And, that, and it certainly is. But it is not a mystery veiled in darkness in which we can only grope and guess. It is a mystery in which we are given to understand that we will never know all there is of God. You ever wondered, eternity, what's eternity going to be about? Well, it's going to be about this making more and more discoveries of this glorious God that we, that we serve. Uh, I love spending time with people. I love spending time with people in the sense of, you know, just over, over a table with some good drinks, some good food, and you're getting to know them, and you're just kind of discovering them, and you're learning more about them, and you're telling your stories, they're telling their stories, and you're going back and forth, and you're just, it's a joyous time. You know, if you've had that experience, this is just a small taste of what it's going to be like with God, um, getting to know him for all of eternity. So, so he goes on, it is a mystery in which we are given to understand that we will never know all there is of God. It is not a mystery that keeps us in the dark, but a mystery in which we are taken by the hand and gradually led into the lights. And so the hand we grasp is the hand of the word of God. So the first doctrine we need to define is the Trinity. And so I have given it to you there, so you just kind of see it in front of you. Here's the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms that God's whole and undivided essence belongs equally, eternally, simultaneously, and fully to each of the three distinct persons of the Godhead. So let's break that down to the component parts and look at a few scriptures. So first, each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, possesses, here we go, if you want to write things in here, if that makes you feel like you've done something, uh, here we go, possesses the divine nature equally. Each person possesses the divine nature equally. 
the divine nature equally. What this means is that each person is equal in essence as each possesses the identical divine nature. Immediately, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one of the things that Genesis 1 teaches us, of many things it teaches us, is that there is only one creator God. There's not the God of the moon and the God of the sun and the God of the stars. No, there is only the creator God in all of creation. And so it is out of this understanding that when God reveals himself to his chosen people, Israel, he commands them to daily recite the, humans, the human heart's tendency to be an idol factory, to daily recite uh, this, because we have our idol factory that we we have, we want to make many gods. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. He says, daily recite this. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. Later in Solomon's address in the dedication of the first temple, he says, as he's praying before this great God in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 59 and 60, he prays this, let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before Yahweh be near to Yahweh our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples, here we go, that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh is God. There is no other. There is only one God. Well, the New Testament authors only affirm more of that, and so I gave you a number of the verses there. You can go on there in, in your packet there. John 17, 3, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Romans 3, 29 through 36, James 2, 19. So where in the world do we get three persons? If there's only one God, how do we get uh, three persons? Now, remember, this is inscrutable truth. That is, we cannot uh, just attain it by our own reason, but we need God to reveal himself. So let's look, take, uh, take one, uh, let's take one of the New Testament passages that affirms both God's unity and plurality in person in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. So turn in your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. I'll give you a moment to do that. Paul writes, he says, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Now, it's very simple. The first part, you see the unity of, of God. He says, therefore, there is one God. The second part, we find the plurality in terms of persons. The Father is the creator of all, he says. So what's he say? There? He says, from whom are all things. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator of all, which we read, through whom are all things. So which is it? Father or the Son, who is the creator of all? Which, which one? Well, the answer is, in the verse, both. They both are. 
one God, and yet we see two people doing the same thing, if you will. And so there's this plurality of idea here that we, we find in the passage. Now turn your Bibles to John 1. You're probably familiar with this one, but John 1. So go a little bit back in your Bibles, John 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we have a distinction, right? Distinction. He was with God, and the Word was God. Identity. Now you probably picked up on it. John intentionally is mirroring Genesis 1.1. And then in verse 3, he affirms that the word, uh, go down there, at, that the word was creator. He says, all things were made through him, that is the word. So God is the creator, but it seems that the son, the word, because we find down in verse 14, uh, the word is revealed to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we know that John is referring to the word, and the word is referring to the incarnate Jesus, and he says Jesus is the one who was the creator uh, of, of the world, of the universe. And so again, we see God is one, and yet there's this idea, this, uh, there's a distinction uh, within this God, and uh, that is Father and Son. And I could go through a dozen more passages where there's this revelation that the Son and the Father are one, and yet they're also distinct. So as we, we, we get, as we, any doctrine, what we need to understand is particularly uh, this do, these doctrines that are inscrutable, we, we need to understand that we are made in his image, he's not made in our image, but we're tempted to make a God after our image, and God says, oh, no, no, don't do that, that won't give you life, that'll give you death, but rather, follow me, uh, and so we, as we're studying God's word, uh, that helps us to understand whom God is, not who we think he is, but who he, who, who he truly is, by coming to his word, which is why. I think is important to us to be looking at it even today. Acts chapter 5 now, uh, because we, we just seen the Son is different than the Father. Let's see how the Spirit is different from uh, the Father and the Son. You go to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And we read, read this. Ananias and his wife have held back some funds. Uh, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, <clears throat> excuse me, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So who did, who did they lie to? The Holy Spirit, yeah, thank you. The Holy Spirit, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to, yeah, God. Okay, who did they lie to? Did they lie to the Holy Spirit or did they lie to God? Yes. That's who they lied to. God 
and yet Holy Spirit. So we could look up 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Hebrews 9, 14 with similar results that we find that the Holy Spirit is understood as God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. Each person is fully God possessing equally the same essence. So you turn over there, and so number two, so, so the first one uh, we have is the same, uh, same essence. Now look at this, number two, each person possesses this nature eternally. Each person possesses this nature eternally. This avoids the thinking, so if you're writing in there, this nature eternally. This avoids the thinking that somehow the Son or the Spirit are created beings at some point in time. As some heresies in church history have proclaimed, the Jehovah's Witnesses are the modern equivalent, teaching that Jesus is the Father's first created being. But no, each person possesses his nature eternally. <clears throat> Number three, each possessed person possesses this nature, divine nature, simultaneously. Oh my goodness. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Did I do it? There you go. That's a word. Simultaneously. Okay. Avoiding, this is avoiding this heresy, avoiding the heresy that God appears in different forms. At one time, the Father, another time, the Son, and then all of a sudden, He shows up as the Spirit. Uh, if this was the case, then passages like this one, which is so encouraging in our faith, fight of faith, Romans 8, 26 and 27, and later verse 34, that talk about the Son and the Spirit interceding on our behalf are not true. So uh, look at that. Uh, go over to Romans chapter 8. If you were just in Acts, now you just got to go to the next book over. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verses 26 and 27, and then we'll look down at verse 34. So, uh, again, if he's not simultaneous, this passage is not possible. All right? So, Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I just love that. So, so... how often have you been in situations where you're praying for someone in whom you love, but you're not exactly certain how to pray for that individual? So you, you do the very best that you possibly can put into words of what you think is necessary uh, to be praying for that individual. But God says, don't worry if you don't think you have the right words. Don't worry about the words. Do the best you can. But I've got the Holy Spirit who is interceding on your behalf and is praying with groanings that are too deep for words. Um, he's going deeper. Okay, that's good news. Verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to uh, the will of God. Oh, good. So you can rest. You, you don't have to be anxious about your prayers as if somehow God is de- the, the, the outcome of your prayers is dependent upon your ability to have the exact right words for those prayers and for those people. That's not it. But rather, it's the Holy Spirit who knows what needs to be prayed. He prays with you. He intercedes along your behalf. And thus, he's praying the right words. And the Father who knows the will of the Spirit will then hear what needs to be heard. Good news. Good news. So, and now, but not only that, now I'll go down to, what, what's the other one? Verse 34. 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is in, who indeed is interceding for us. So, so the, the Son is also interceding on our behalf. And in this case, he's interceding on what is ultimately absolutely important for us and that is that as we are condemned because you know uh, every day we're sinning and 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 so the the enemy says look there he goes again there she goes again sin 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 and the spirit and the the son intercedes on our behalf and steps in and says oh no i've already paid for that they're good they're good He's doing the same thing. He's interceding. The Spirit's interceding. The Son's interceding. And, the, and that's good news because we have a God who is simultaneously three persons doing the work. Um, and I, for one, don't want to be the one who cuts those verses out of my Bible. So those are great truths. All right, finally, number four, each person possesses this divine nature fully. Each person uh, possesses this uh, divine nature fully, which avoids dividing up God like a pie into three parts. Here, you have one-third the Father, you have one-third the Son, you have one-third the Spirit. Okay, we don't do that. Um, We don't divide them up. Summing this up, in essence, each member of the Godhead is identical, but each person is distinct. And so here's the wonder of it. Um, The three members of the Godhead work together in harmony, not in unison, but in the texture and richness of the unified expression through different but complementary parts. Harmony. All right, the Trinity. So that's the main doctrine we are considering today. But there is a second doctrine that gives us uh, hope today that we can learn about the Trinity, um, that the Trinity has everyday applications to, le- to our lives as leaders. And it's the doctrine of the image of God found in humanity. The image of God found in humanity. So you do need to go back to your Bible <coughs> into Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 1. That's an easy one to find. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. And look at verses 26 and 27. In the first chapter of Genesis, we'll refine this doctrine that we're made in the image of God. Verse 26. Let us, plurality, let us, Make man in our image after our likeness. Now, we can't, we, can't, we, we can't work out the doctrine of the Trinity by one verse like this one, but it is curious, isn't it? Let us, our. There's a plurality somehow. They, uh, the Jews know there's a plurality in some way by this 
by this phrase. But let us make man in our image. So what does he? So so what does he? Uh, what does he do? Verse twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there are a number of implications of what it means to be made in the image of God, but the one that is pertinent to our discussion is this. We have been created to live our lives as God's representatives, carrying out his will and rule on his behalf. So we're his representatives, thus we are to represent God and reflect who he is in our relationships and in our activities. So we are to be representative of him and we're to do this in our relationships with other people and in the activities that work out within those relationships. So part of this involves reflecting the ways in which the triune person, persons relate to one another. So the roles and relationships of the triune persons are to be reflected in our relationships. So this is absolutely important for us to understand. If we've been called to be these representatives of God, the triune God, then we need to understand how does the triune God relate to one another and thus then how do we then relate to each other in a way that will be representative of him. And so that's where we want to try to hit this day is how does this work in the various places that God has us in terms of the, of the Trinity. So that is what we want to consider the rest of today. And so I'm just going to give you a few questions that will be answered through our understanding of the Trinity just to kind of whet our appetites uh, for this afternoon's sessions. Uh, and I gave those questions right there for you. What is the role of community in our, uh, in our leadership? How do we maintain unity and diversity in the groups we lead? What is the relationship between authority and submission as leaders and as those being led? How does responsibility relate to our leadership? How does equality of essence and distinction of roles relate to one another? How are these dynamics of essence and roles to be reflected in our workplaces and homes and church? Why can we be confident that uh, equality of essence and diversity of roles are both good? So in a whole, the Trinity teaches us much uh, much about how to lead, but also how to relate to those who uh, who are being led. All right, so that's what we'll be aiming for. Roadmap for this afternoon. Pretty simple, three persons, three sessions. Huh, I wonder what I'm going to do with that. (laughs) All right, that was easy. All right, so as we wonder and as we look at these inscrutable truths, truths that cannot be plumbed with reason alone but requires revelation, my hope and prayer is that we will do what inscrutable truth often does, and that is leads us to awe and worship. (laughs) 